Today we're going to learn about Jonah. It's another big story in the Old Testament. Nathan Jones is going to be teaching and we're so excited to hear from him. So, Nathan, take it away. Thank you so much, Jen. Yeah, so we get to continue in our Big One series that we've been going over all summer. And just uh, if you want a quick recap of that, I encourage you just go back last week. Jack did a great job of summing everything up. So just go back and listen to that if you want to hear where we've been so far in the summer. Um, and you know, I also, uh, I also appreciated what he said about Joshua, just that Joshua's life was so intricate and it was so, uh, there's so many things going on in Joshua's life that he should have picked Jonah. It would have been much easier. And so this week we're going to go over Jonah uh, for that reason. Um, but just a little bit about myself, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys uh, might know that I'm married to Brittany. Uh, she is, I'm very lucky to have her. She's absolutely my better half, but she spent a lot of her years growing up in this church, and so maybe you know her. Um, we, we decided to move here last year, at the end of last year, with hopes and dreams to homestead and pursue raising our own food, uh, having our own land, that sort of thing. And so we started with that by just starting a, a little garden in our backyard. And we wanted to, to grow uh, all sorts of things, but specifically we wanted to grow some strawberries because we love Mama's jelly and we wanted to make some of our own. And so uh, we, we planted a whole bed, a dedicated an entire bed, like five by four, just to strawberries. We sowed like 30 or 40 strawberry seeds uh, in the hopes that we would have just loads of them. And, uh, and so over the summer, these plants, they start sticking up out of the, out of the soil and, and growing up, and I'm just getting so excited. And with each new plant, Brittany comes to me and she's like, hey, those don't look right. They look a little off. Are you sure you did something right? And I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. We got it. They'll, they'll turn into strawberries. Don't worry. Just be patient. Take time. And as they started to produce fruit, the little green strawberries started popping up on the vine, on, on the plant, and... Um, and again, she's like, hey, those don't look right. Are you sure you know what you're doing? And I'm like, no, I don't know what I'm doing. This is all new to me, but just be patient. They will turn red, and everything will, will be okay. And, um, and so I just want to show you a quick picture of my strawberry bed. If you can't see, those are tomatoes. <laughs> um, and so experimenting with a garden, we also decided to experiment with a compost pile, and we threw some bad tomatoes out in the compost pile, and we think that the seeds survived, and they just took over the bed. And you're like, how in the world does this have anything to do with Jonah? And it doesn't. It has nothing to do with Jonah. But it also has everything to do with Jonah. Because sometimes we have this idea of the life that we want. We have this picture of, of what the good life is going to look like. We think we know what is best for us, but the reality is that God is producing something completely different in us. We planted strawberries, but he, he's growing tomatoes. Um, and so with Jonah, what is the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about Jonah? Um, maybe that is the first image that pops into your mind a whale. And I love these kind of books because every single one of them, the whale has this big smile on its face and it's like, it's your friendly whale just coming to save the day. And, and I love it because, you know, you flip through the pages 
some more, and, and after the whale swallows up Jonah, it's like this giant room where Jonah just has room to lounge and just is so comfortable, and he's just enjoying this moment of being swallowed up, and, and you know, that's not the case at all. Um, or maybe what comes into your mind uh, is the songs or uh, the story that Talking Vegetables uh, told you over and over again, and, and, and the songs pop in your mind, and the, they continue to pop in your mind, and then they, when you're trying to go to bed at night, they pop into your mind, and they never get out, and you just plays on repeat over and over again that Jonah was a prophet. Um, but the book of Jonah, this is not it. Jonah is, is not about a whale. You may want to r- write that down, that Jonah, the book of Jonah, it, it's not about a whale. In fact, when we look at the, the actual words of the scripture, it doesn't even say whale, it just says great fish. And, you know, we just think about all the fish in the ocean that are deadly and scary and creepy to look at. Any one of them could have eaten Jonah. But even if it was a whale, that the verses that talk about the great fish in the book of Jonah, out of four chapters, only two verses mention the fish. So the fish is not the thing. It's not the thing that we're supposed to be focusing on. So what are we supposed to be focusing on? What is the book of Jonah about? Well, the first verse kind of gives us a little clue into that. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And that's supposed to give us a little clue. Because when, when Scripture says the word of the Lord came to, it's supposed to make us think of the prophet. The word of the Lord came to Hosea. The word of the Lord came to Habakkuk. It's supposed to remind us that that this is a story about the prophets. So what are the stories of the prophets? And and most, if not all, of the prophetic books go something like this. There's, There's a great injustice that happens. There's some kind of sin in the world that happens against God. And so, so God sends his messenger. He, he calls someone out, calls a prophet out, and he sends him to go to the people that are doing this injustice or doing this sin against the Lord. And he, and he calls them to repeat, to uh, preach this message of repent or else something is going to happen. And specifically in the context of Jonah, I love it because there, there's, um, there's several of these prophetic books like Jeremiah, Hosea, Isaiah, Habakkuk, um, that they use this phrase, repent or be swallowed up and devoured. I think that's so cool because that's what happens in the book of Jonah, literally. But in Jonah, it's also unique from any other book of the prophets because Jonah's message, the word that the Lord gave him to speak, it consists of five Hebrew words. And if we're being generous, it's like eight English words. So again, the focus of Jonah is not the sermon that he's going to preach, but rather it's about the life of the prophet. And so we get this switch from, from the very first verse in the book of Jonah that, hey, you're, gonna, you're going to read a story that is about repent or be swallowed up, but it's not in the message, it's in the life of the man we're going to be reading about. But it doesn't just come, the word of the Lord doesn't just come to Jonah. It comes to Jonah, son of, son of Amittai. And when we hear that, we're all supposed to laugh. Like, how is that funny at all? Because in the Hebrew, Jonah, son of Amittai, can be translated as dove, 
son of faithfulness. And we look at Jonah's life and you're like, dude, you are not innocent and you are not faithful at all. And I just have this, this picture of like while Jonah is fleeing from the Lord, he's running away, he's getting into all this chaos and disaster and mess and, and his life is just, uh, just messy, that someone looks at him and he's like, hey, isn't that, isn't that the innocent one who's full of faithfulness? And we're supposed to laugh. We're supposed to laugh at Jonah. It kind of sets up what this book is going to be about. Um, that Jonah was a prophet. He didn't, really, he didn't really follow the Lord. He didn't really get it. Um, and we're supposed to laugh with, sometimes at, Jonah throughout the story. So here's how it starts. Jonah gets a word from the Lord. Go to Nineveh, preach a message of repentance so that they would turn and they would repent and that they would follow the Lord um, and not continue in their wickedness. And where does he go? He turns in the complete opposite direction. Uh, verse 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And Tarshish, it, it's like if you were uh, told to go to, to New York, you would, you would go to Oregon. It's like in the complete opposite direction, as far away as physically possible. He goes down to Joppa, down into the ship. And when he gets on the ship, about halfway through this verse, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. You get what's happening here? It's the slow descent down, down, down. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its rain, raging. If they're throwing him into the sea from a ship, what direction are they throwing him? Down. So he's going further and further down. When he gets in the water, the Lord appointed a great fish, not a whale, a fish, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He goes down into the belly of the fish. And he continues, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Seaweed was entangling him. So where was he at? Where did seaweed grow? At the bottom of the ocean, down, until he gets to this point. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. And Sheol is another word for a pit or death. It is rock bottom. Jonah has rejected what God wanted for him, and he's just on this spiral downward, further and further and further down. Put it this way, from the moment that Jonah chooses to reject and rebel from God, he goes further and further and further down. And on his way down, he's taking everyone else with him. Right? So he, he's on a boat. What's he doing on that boat? He's asleep. He fell asleep. He laid down. And while he's asleep, these sailors that are sailing the ship on the upper part of the boat, they're doing everything they, can, they possibly can do to save the ship. And for them, 
because they're experienced sailors, they begin throwing cargo overboard because they know if I lighten the load of the ship, then we'll be able to more easily sail through the waters. And so they begin tossing the cargo overboard, but as they're doing that, they're not just throwing random goods off the side of the boat, they're throwing their money away. Because that's what, they are, that's what their job is, is to get goods from one port to another. And so Jonah, by sleeping on this ship of his own doing, is causing the sailors to, to lose the provision for their families. But not just that, because as sailors, they had a reputation that when they said they were going to get goods from one port to another, people believed them. And that's what allowed them to continue being sailors and carry goods from one place to another. So as they're dumping their cargo, they're, they're losing their money, they're losing their provision for their family, but they're also losing their re reputation and their future income as well. Jonah is just wrecking the lives, lives of these sailors because of his disobedience, because he's running and rebelling from God. And what's, do, what's Jonah doing the entire time he's doing that? He's fast asleep down in the boat. He's just become so apathetic and so selfish and unaware of the damage that his choices are causing to the people around him. And we look at his life as he's, as he's spiraling downwards, as he's bringing other people down with him, he's hurting other people around him. We look at Jonah and we're like, man, you are a really, really bad prophet. You're supposed to be a man of God. You are doing a really bad job. And that's another thing that this book tells us is that the expectations we have of the characters in this book always get subverted. What I mean by that is when we look at the life of Jonah, he's supposed to be the prophet, a man of God. But what do we get? Someone who is spiritually asleep. And then we look at the lives of the sailors. So as Jonah is sleeping, the sailors are doing everything they can to, to correct the ship. But a shift happens at some point where they realize the things that we're doing, these, these practical things of, of dumping our cargo, it's not working. Something must be going on here. And, and so they spiritually awaken to realize that this is something supernatural. This is not a normal storm that we're in. And they begin to realize this is spiritual. But what's amazing about that is because these sailors are all pagan polytheists. They didn't worship Yahweh. They worshipped a multitude of gods. And what would happen as pagan polytheists, they would get together and they would say, hey, there's this group of gods that are mad at us. We don't know which one is mad at us, so we need to pray to all of them and just hope that we get the right one. There was no assurance. There was no peace. There was nothing to guarantee that their prayers would even reach the God they were trying to reach. And so just out of measure of caution, they go to Jonah and they say, hey, aren't you a prophet? Which God do you worship? Maybe your prayers will work. They have to remind the man of God to pray. And they're pagan polytheists. They go to him and, and Jonah wakes up and he says, oh, uh, I, I worship Yahweh. I fear Yahweh. You know, the God of the heavens who created the land and the sea. And these sailors are like, what are you doing? You're running away from the guy who created the land and the seas when we're on a boat made of trees on the land in the middle of the waves in the ocean on the sea. 
And, and what, do, what do these pagan polytheists do? They begin to actually fear the Lord. Uh, it's actually really cool. Um, there's a moment where, where, where they, they throw Jonah overboard later on in the story, but right after that, they uh, repent, and it says they, they give this sacrifice to the Lord. Um, and we kind of just gloss over that a little bit, but we got to remember, sacrifices were done on giant altars of fire. And in the story, they're on a wooden ship. And those two things don't really play too well together. And so what the story is trying to tell us is they made it all the way back home, went about their normal lives, and that's where the change happened. It wasn't just this momentary realization that, oh, God is scary, but it was a radical life change in the, in the lives of these sailors because they began to understand who God is and the part that, that God was leading them to, to fear him and to show him and reveal his character and his nature. But for Jonah, Jonah had gotten to this place in his life where his knowledge about God was sufficient. He, he gives this, this phrase of like, oh, I serve Yahweh, the God of the, the heavens, who made the seas and the land. He says, I fear Yahweh, and, and the sailors are looking at him like, no, you don't. You don't fear him. You're sleeping. You don't fear him at all. That phrase had just become that. It was just something Jonah knew to repeat. It wasn't something that he allowed to change his heart and change his life. And so when we look at the story so far, Jonah gets called to this great message, to this great thing in life, and, and he begins his rebellion against God, and he, and he runs away from him, trying to flee from the presence, and he's going down, 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 and he's taking other people with him and to the point where he is spiritually asleep and he is knocking on death's door at the bottom. And we look at his life and we're like, I cannot believe your life. I cannot believe that you made it into the Bible. How did, how did you get that gig? We look at his behavior and like, Jonah, how, did, why, how, how do you behave that way? You're supposed to be a man of God. I would never do that. Ah, oh, dang it. Because I do it all the time. And that's the trap of Jonah, is that we look at his life and we realize, and it's easy for us to look at Jonah and just criticize him over and over again for his rebellion, for his slumber, for his sin, and for his rejection. And it's too easy for us to look at the life of Jonah and say, I would never do that. Um, me and my wife, we're reading this book called Parenting because we have a toddler and we need all the help that we can get. And, um, and right now, our son, he, we, we know he knows what the word no means, N-O. We know he knows what that means. How do we know? Because he tells it to us. He, he lets us know. No, I'm not going to do that. No, no, I'm not doing that. But when we tell him no, it's like he just conveniently forgets what the word means. Like, oh, I've never heard that syllable before. And he just, he just ignores us. And even though we tell our, no, our, our son no pretty frequently because he's a toddler and he gets into everything and he's a dangerous person, we feel like we're rescuing his life daily, um, that we still want him to enjoy life. 
right? We still want him to enjoy his life, and we want what is best for him. And the thing about our son is, is that for him, he loves going outside, he loves walking on trails, he loves getting outdoors and exercising. And so when we open the door and he just bolts, we are concerned for him, rightly so, because, because we know if he just runs to the trail in the woods outside of our house and we don't know where he's at, if he takes a wrong turn and he gets lost, what he thinks is going to lead to the best life possible is going to result with him sitting in the woods all by himself, afraid and crying and in pain. And I know, as his dad, where that could lead him. And the thing that this book that, that has just kicking our tails over and over again with every page that we turn, is that as we understand these 14 gospel principles that can radically change our family, as we're reading about them, we're also reminded that we are more like our son than unlike him. And when we look at the book of Jonah, we're more like Jonah than unlike him. Our tendency, our nature, is to run from the good life that God has for us into this false hope and this false understanding of the good life that the Lord wants for us. Maybe, maybe not all of us are trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, but nearly all of us have an ideal life that we want for ourselves, and it might not match up with what God wants for us. Where does that lead us when we pursue that? It leads us down into the pit. And just like Jonah, if, if, we, if we took a step back and we watched uh, from, the, from the perspective of the sailors, this moment where Jonah gets thrown overboard, cast into the water, and swallowed up, we wouldn't look at, look at that moment like the picture on that children's board book. We wouldn't be like, oh, great, the whale's here. Save the day. No, we would look at it like, that guy is toast. He is done for. That is the end of Jonah's life. And I think something really beautiful happens when we reach the end of ourselves. Um, in Jonah chapter 2, he gets swallowed up by the fish so he does what any one of us would do, and he begins writing Hebrew poetry. And he says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet... I shall see you again to look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He went down to the land whose bars closed upon him. He was in the land of captivity and death, and he realized every decision I've been making up until this point has only led me to a place of death and destruction. 
When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Here's what happened. When he had lost all control of his life, Jonah remembered the Lord, and God brought him up from out of the pit. He had mercy and grace upon Jonah, who was fleeing as fast as he could away from God. But I think something even deeper is happening here, that Jonah realizes that that God is not just saving him from the pit that he's in, but that God has been chasing him and redeeming him from the moment we learned about Jonah and the word that the Lord gave him to this moment where he is death and dying in the middle of destruction in the pit. We go back to to verse 3. Jonah says this, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Think back, who threw Jonah into the sea? The sailors. But Jonah's attributing these moments in his life, these chaotic, dangerous, stressful moments where his life was overturned, not as things that happened to him, but as God's grace and mercy to lead him to where he needed to be. He finally understands and gets it that God's grace has been chasing him down from the moment he chose to reject and flee from him. And in that moment, he he realizes, God is the only thing that I have going for me. And I am so thankful for a God that is committed to redeeming my life from the pit when I'm running from him and when I am praying to him. And there's this idea of being in the pit that is echoed not just in this story but all throughout Scripture specifically in the Old Testament. You know, in this story, the pit that Jonah is in, we look at it and we're like, yeah, you earned that one. You walked into that pit all on your own. It was avoidable, um, and you chose to walk into it. But the pit in Joseph's life is different. The pit in Joseph's life it is an actual, literal pit where his brothers threw him into a well. They sold him into slavery. He gets committed, or he gets um, convicted of something he never did, and he's thrown into a dungeon called the pit. The, the pit in Joseph's life was not a result of his own sin, but a result of someone else's sin. So we take that, and then we, we think about Job in the life of Job, and we think about how the pit that he was in wasn't a result of his own sin, How do we know that? Because God said it wasn't a result of his own sin. And there wasn't anyone else in the story other than the Satan that that caused what was happening. So it wasn't someone else's sin. It was just something that Jonah had to deal with. He was in the pit because that's where he was at. That's where he had landed up. And so maybe you've gone through these moments in your life that you would call the pit, these deep, dark moments where it feels like there isn't hope, where it feels like I am at the end of myself, I am at the end, and there's, uh, I'm done for. And maybe it's because you walked in there yourself. Maybe it's not. Maybe someone else's sin led you there, or maybe it's a result of no one's sin, and it's just happening to you. Maybe, um, maybe, 
it's similar to the story of a couple named Susan and Nick. They were in the middle of the pit. Um, they were pregnant with their second son. And in some of the early uh, uh, images, um, what are those called? Ultrasounds, yeah, thank you. I should know that. I'm expecting. I should. Uh, I'm expecting my second. I should know what that word means. But um, in some of the early ultrasounds, the doctors realized there's something abnormal here. Something isn't right. And when they went to, to deliver their second son, uh, they realized that he had a malfunctioning heart. And so for 18 months, their lives were radically changed. And their, their lives were filled with regular trips to the ER, um, their, their schedule, their lives were, were completely different. They were spending most of the nights waking up multiple times throughout the night, even past infancy. And it resulted, after 18 months, with the tragic loss of their son. And when they were asked about this, they said, you know, in the middle of it, we found that Jesus is exactly who he said he would be. In the middle of the pit, we found that Jesus is exactly who he said he would be. And so I don't, I, I don't think it should surprise us when later on in the Bible, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus uses the story of Jonah to talk about his death and resurrection, to say that what was used as something that was meant for death and destruction and dying was actually going to be an avenue that leads us to the good life that the Lord is calling us to. And when we compare that to the life of Jonah, that, that this has been happening from the beginning of the story when, when Jonah was running to this moment where Jonah is turning back to the Lord, that the circumstances Jonah found himself in never changed that God's steadfast love and his mercy and his grace were committed to redeeming him at every step in his story. We found that Jesus was exactly who he said he would be in our darkest moment and on top of the mountain. What was meant for destruction actually leads to the good life. Um, you know, the story continues with Jonah where he gets vomited up by the whale um, and he begins going to Nineveh. Uh, and he preaches his sermon in Nineveh. That's five words in Hebrew. Um, probably doesn't take that long. He just goes in, preaches the sermon. And the people begin to repent. The people in Nineveh, they begin to, to turn and, and humble themselves and fast and pray to the Lord. And that reaches the king of Nineveh, which is the king of Assyria. Nineveh was a city in Assyria. And it reaches the king of Nineveh, and he begins to fast and pray and repent and humble himself, humble himself and wear sackcloth, uh, praying to the Lord. And, and again, it just subverts our expectation of what's supposed to happen, because the king of, the, uh, of Assyria, he was like the most powerful, most wicked, most brutal man there was in the known world. Um, they actually did some archaeological digging and, and found that the, the palace of this 
uh, Nineveh king, this Assyrian king, he would have these murals lined up on the sides of his palace. And so as he would invite prisoners of war, or maybe not invite, maybe command is the better word, as he would uh, force these prisoners of war to walk down the halls to approach the king, as they're walking towards him, they're seeing, oh, this is when we got enslaved. This is when our family was murdered and killed. This is when we were dragged off by hooks to go back to Assyria. And they're walking through this story in the palace that just represents that the Assyrian king, this Nineveh king, he was an evil, brutal, destructive guy. And what's happening? He's more humble than anyone else in the story. He's repenting and he's turning to follow Yahweh. I love, I love what, he, what he says. Um, as, he, as he puts on sackcloth, he commands everyone in Nineveh to put on sackcloth. And then he says, go ahead and have the cows wear sackcloth as well. Have them fast. Make sure they repent too. And I just love that image because he's like, even the cows, they have to repent. And as, as this whole city is, is repenting to the Lord, Jonah hates it. He gets so angry and it's like there's this, this second cycle in Jonah's life where all over again, he begins to question the wisdom of God. And he's like, God, don't you know this is not ha- supposed, to, uh, it's not supposed to turn out this way. You're supposed to listen to my ideas. They're supposed to be destroyed. You're not supposed to give mercy to them. Don't you know that's the way it's supposed to go, God? Jonah's idea of the good life doesn't match up with God's idea of the good life. And so much so that he gets angry and he, he walks up on top of a hill that overlooks Nineveh and he's watching the, the city, watching these people and he's just hoping that maybe the Ninevites will, will repent from their repentance and God will come in and destroy them after all. And he's just sitting up there fuming and hoping that they are destroyed. Meanwhile, while he's doing that, there's this plant that grows and begins to shade his head. And he's not so hot, the the sun isn't beating down on him anymore, and he's comfortable. And as Jonah sits and wishes for the destruction of his enemies, he's thankful for this little plant that's bringing him comfort. In the middle of the night, God sends a worm, or in veggie tales, a caterpillar, if that's what you want to picture, to devour this plant. And when he wakes up, Jonah is so mad. He says, I wish I was dead because I was comfortable before and now I'm miserable. And so the Lord talks to him and he he asks him this question. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And I love that God says it. He's like, and don't you remember the cows? Even they repented. I can't destroy the cows. I think God is talking to Jonah, and he's trying to get him to realize, don't you realize... I can have compassion on other people the same way that I just had compassion on you. 
Jonah, don't you realize that you were in the middle of the pit? Don't you realize that you were the one who was messing up? Don't you realize you were in their place? And I had compassion for you. And I loved you. And I poured my grace upon you and showed you mercy. Don't you think that I can do the same for someone else? And as we think about that, just if we think about that phrase that God is who he says he would be, that God is a God of compassion and mercy and goodness and faith and, and steadfast love that pursues us, if those things are true, and he's doing that in our life, then don't you think he's going to reveal that to other people through us? That the things that we experience about God are extended to other people through us. And I think that's important in, in the life of Jonah because Jonah was given this great call, this great message to preach. Short, but great message to preach. But the message was not the end goal. From the very beginning, the calling in Jonah's life was for the purpose of going to a people. So write this down. God gave Jonah a message, but he sent him to a people. So maybe God is calling you to something right now. Maybe he's leading you to do something in your life. Maybe that's join a circle. Maybe start a circle. Maybe, maybe there are specific behaviors in your life that are just coming to your mind that I know I need to change those. I, need to, I know I need to stop doing that or I know I need to start doing that. Maybe I need to start becoming the person that God is leading me to become. Maybe like Jonah, God is giving you a message to bring to the world around you. Like all those things are great, but it's not the end goal. Because the Lord wants to remind us that what he is doing in our lives is for the purpose of loving people. It's for the purpose of knowing who we were made to be that God loves us and that we are sent to people. We often miss the good life that God's calling us to. We, we, just, we just miss it a lot of the times. You know, we ask for strawberries and we get tomatoes. And, and we pray to the Lord and we're like, Lord, this is what I want from my life. This is how I see my life going. And he looks at us and he's, that's not what I have planned for you. And you may think you want that. You may think that that's the direction you want to go. But I promise you're going to get lost in the woods and you're going to be sitting there on the trail crying alone and afraid. And how do we get to that point? It's our selfishness. It's our selfish hearts that drive us further and further away from God, down and down and down into our sinful desire, to the point that we are knocking on death's door at the bottom of the pit, rock bottom, feeling like there's no way out. And it's there that God extends his hand and the grace of the Lord reminds us that he has been chasing us down from the beginning of their story to 
where we are in this very moment. He's good to do that. That his love is steadfast and he is for us. And yet, while we were still sinners, while we were the enemies of God, he showed us his grace. He showed us his love and his kindness. And as hard as it may be for some of us, he's extending that to our enemy in the same way that he showed it to us. And I think sometimes for us, like, it's really easy to say, I know that God loves his enemies. I'm thankful that God loves his enemies because I was was an enemy of God at one point. It's a lot harder for me to then follow in that and to say, if I want to become like Jesus, I need to love my enemies. We're okay with with giving that to the Lord. Jesus, I'm glad you love your enemies, but I'm going to stay over here. I'll leave that to you. God is calling us to a people. So I want to leave you with with a couple questions just to ponder on and think about. And the first one is this. What comes to mind when you think about God? What image, what picture pops into your head when you think about the Lord? So just sit and think about that for a moment. a genuine moment be honest with yourself when that when that picture pops into your mind do you see a god who is distant do you picture a god who maybe you're smart but you're not as smart as me do you picture a god who is wrathful quick to vengeance or do you picture a god who is faithful and gracious you picture the hand of Jesus reaching out to pull you up and out of the pit? What comes to, comes to mind when you think about God? Because it's the most important thing about you. Except for maybe this. What comes to God's mind when he thinks about you? Because he loves you. He has compassion for you. He has mercy on you. And he has grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that he is pouring out for you. And whether you are running and and fleeing from the Lord or you are sitting and praying in his holy temple, thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. Wherever you are at, loves you and he is for you and he wants to show you who he is 
So as we think about that in the context of Jonah, I want you to just process this week. What is God calling me towards? What is he leading me towards that I can experience the grace of God in my life? And then how does that extend to the people around me? How do I begin to understand what God is doing in my life and go to where he is calling me to go? Lord, we thank you that you chase us down and pursue us, that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing in the world, that you give us a calling and a purpose and a mission and a passion and a goal and a place. But Lord, even more importantly, that you send us to a people, a people who don't know what they're doing. Just like the Ninevites, they were guilty They weren't exempt, but they couldn't tell their right hand from their left. They were lost in the dark. And Lord, you invite us into that process of going and sharing your gospel of repentance and a good life. So I pray that you would just reveal whatever that is to us. Lord, where are you sending me? What are you calling me to? that no matter what that is, that we would be faithful and obedient in that calling. That we would pursue you and listen to you, knowing that maybe you are smarter than me. Maybe the God who created the universe in all infinite wisdom and knowledge, maybe he has a better picture than I do. And if that's true, then I'm committing to believe that even if you lead me through a pit, even if you lead me to the deepest depths of the ocean, so that I can understand the picture of the life that you have for me, I will trust that it is good and that you are getting me to where I need to. God, you are faithful, you are good, you always have been, and we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.